All right, so the kids are all out of the room, yeah? You know what that means, adults. Yes, I, all right, there's one on each aisle. It's time to party. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand up. Come on, it's time to party. Stand up. Grab your Dove chocolate. Did everybody get a Dove chocolate? Okay. And for about one second, I'm going to invite you all to lower your mask and violate the policy. Slip this Dove chocolate into your mouth. For those of you at home, get up off your couch, run real quick, and grab some of that Halloween candy that you're going to hand out tonight. That's for the kids tonight. But we adults, we get our treat this morning. Go ahead, take a bite. They get their treat tonight. We get ours now. And stay standing with me, if you will. Because this morning, what I want us to do is to read the Word of God together with this sweetness in our mouth as we stand in His presence. If you remember last week, Joel's talk from Nehemiah chapter 8, it was exactly that. It was the people, they had realized they had built the wall. They had reestablished it in 52 days. It was a miraculous work of God. Prior to that, the temple had been rebuilt. This is being done by a, a remnant of people that have been in captivity for over 70 years, many of them born in captivity, and they come, and they're here now back in Jerusalem finally after all these years. And they get there, and again, they've got the temple, and they've got the wall, and they've got all that stuff, but they realize, and they go, but if we got all this, but if we don't have the Word of God, if we don't have the presence of God, if our hearts are not laid out and devoted to the, to the Lord, the King, the one who has created and made us and called us to be a special people, a holy nation, if we don't have relationship and intimacy with Him, we actually have nothing. And so they stood there and they said to Ezra, bring out the book. And Ezra brought out the book, and he opened it up, and he read. And as he read, the people then started to weep, because in the presence of God, in the hearing of the word from the living God, from the mouth of the living God, written down on the scrolls and inspired and now read aloud, the people began to weep. And Nehemiah said to them, don't weep. For what you're hearing and what you're experiencing, the word of God, it's sweet, it's good. And the joy of the Lord ought to be your strength. And he sent them out instead not to weep, but to eat something good. Eat something sweet. And in response then to that, they began to celebrate the Feast of Booths and realized that they had actually not been doing a lot of the things that the Word of God had directed and instructed. That chocolate's good. And instructed them to. They stood there then. And now in chapter 9, I want you to see, we're going to look at today what they did in response to all that, okay? So stay standing with me if you have the capacity and ability to do that. If you need another chocolate, there's plenty in the basket. I won't be offended if you make your way back there. Hopefully those of you at home have had a chance to go get a chocolate and eat it. But this is the word of God for us today. Nehemiah chapter 9, we're going to read a big chunk. And I pray that just as you hear, as you experience the sweetness in your mouth of that chocolate, that you'll hear these words of God as sweet today. Now on the 24th day of this month of the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. Don't worry, it'll take us just a few minutes. For another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Benai, Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Bunai, Sherebiah, Benai, and Chenaniah. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Then the Levites, those guys all with the same names, said, 
Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worships you. You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and you gave him the name Abraham. You found his heart faithful before you, and you made with him the covenant to give to his offspring the land of the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Amorite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, and the Girgashite. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry at the Red Sea, and performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, and all his servants, and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly against our fathers. And you made a name for yourself as it is to this day. And you divided the sea before them so that they went through the midst of the sea on dry land, and you cast their pursuers into the depths as a stone into mighty waters. By a pillar of cloud you led them in the day, and by a pillar of fire in the night to light them for them the way in which they should go. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in and possess the land that you had sworn to give them. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But you are a God, ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. Even when they had made for themselves a golden calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt and, had great and committed great blasphemy, you and your great mercies did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud to lead them in the way did not depart from them by day, nor the pillar of the fire by night to light for them the way by which they should go. You gave your spirit to instruct them and did not withhold your manna from their mouth, and you gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. And you gave them kingdoms and peoples and allotted to them every corner, so they took possession of the land and Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, king of Bashan. You multiplied their children at the stars of heaven, and you brought them into the land that you had told their fathers to enter and possess. So the descendants went in and possessed the land, and you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites, and you gave that into their hand with their kings and the peoples of the land that they might do with them as they would. And as they captured fortified cities and a rich land, and they took possession of houses full of all good things, cisterns already hewn, vineyards, olive orchards, and fruit trees in abundance. So they ate and were filled and became fat and delighted themselves in your great goodness. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and they rebelled against you and cast your law behind their back and they killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you and they committed great blasphemies. Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. 
And in the time of their suffering, they cried out to you and you heard from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you. And they abandoned, you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet, when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. And you wanted them, you warned them in order to turn back to your law. Yet they acted presumptuously and did not obey your commandments, but sinned against your rules, which if a person does them, he shall live by them. And they turned a stubborn shoulder and stiffened their neck, and they would not obey. Many years you bore with them, and you warned them by your spirit through your prophets, yet they would not give ear. Therefore you gave them into the hands of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. You may be seated. So the Levites are called, the Levites call them in verse 4 to come to pray. After they heard the word, after they had their meals, after they again celebrated the Feast of Us for seven, seven days, they come and the Levites again stand up on their wooden platforms and they say, come. The right and proper response after hearing that word of God and, and feasting and celebrating this, this seven-day celebration and realizing how good God is, realizing how foolish we've been, the only right response is that we come back to him now in prayer. And in chapter 4, the Levites invite them to come into the presence of an active and a responsive God. And if you were listening, what you heard there was this prayer that recounted the history of Israel from Abram to Abraham and the covenant, from Egyptian enslavement to the exodus and giving of the law to Moses, from the wilderness journey and the trouble of that to entering the promised land, to enslavement, to captivity, to being free, to now being back into the land that God gave them to possess where they realize they're quasi-free because they're quasi-following the things of God. And so on one hand, what we just read, that prayer is incredibly powerful because on one hand, it's, it's a sombering recording of their past and all of the sin and the foolishness and the ways that they've turned or stiffened their necks throughout history. And they don't only own their sin. If, you, if you're listening, you heard them actually sin, own the sins of their forefathers, right? We talked about that a number of times throughout this last year and a half, so I won't go and exhaust that here, but for anybody out there that says, oh, I'm not going to try and pay attention, I, I don't have any inherited sin, or there's, there's nothing that we as a church or I as an individual need to own from the past. No, it's just me and my time right here. I'm sorry, that is not a biblical principle or practice. What we see in Scripture over and over and over again actually is the declaration and the realization that there is inherited blessing and there is inherited cursing because there is inherited sin. There is ownership and there, is, there are things that happen and take place and there is a trickle-down effect that happens. And where we are living and where we are standing and the things that are going on now, it's not just ex nihilo, meaning it came out of nowhere right now, but it's been a cause and effect throughout history of the people either doing what we read here, stiffening their necks and turning away from God and blaspheming him, or what we're reading them do in this moment is bowing themselves in humility, in repentance, owning the things and the ways in which we as a people have forsaken God and his law from the, since the garden <laughs> and saying, but God, we turn back to you. And so on one hand, that prayer, again, it's, it's sombering and it's a recount of all the ways that they failed. But on the other hand, and even more so, church, what I believe that prayer is and the power of it is that it testifies to who God is. 
It spoke to us of who God is and God's sufficiency for the people then in that day and the hope that they needed for the future. I want to I read to you just this list of, of verbs. As I read through that a number of times, I, I, I couldn't help but be struck by these phrases that are almost hidden. I mean, they're very clear. There's a slide in front of you. I just want to read this, and I invite you just, just even to listen. But God, for, the, for their benefit, God, for the benefit of his people, we see in this prayer, has given himself to the work of these things. To the work of creating, of choosing, of naming, of encouraging, of covenant making, of promise keeping, of seeing and hearing, of performing miracles, of delivering, of guiding, of meeting with and speaking to, of teaching, of protecting, of feeding, of forgiving and loving, of accompanying, of clothing and sustaining, empowering, multiplying, prospering, correcting, rescuing, warning, forbearing. All in the midst of the people stiffening their necks, turning their backs and forsaking. Consider that for a second, church. This is who God is. And I'd remind you the words of the author of Hebrews that says, God, Jesus, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We've got a number more things to talk about this morning, but as you look at that list of, of, of actions, of God's heart in action, moving towards this world that he created in love and still oversees, where have you seen him in this way towards you? Or whereas you read that, does your heart long and say, God, I need you to show up for me in that way? The end of the verses that we read, verse 31, it said, Nevertheless, in your great mercies, you did not make an end of them or forsake them, for you are a God that is gracious and merciful. See, the right response to all that Joel talked about last week and the right response to this prayer was for the people to come to this realization, again, focus, again, not on themselves, to remove their imminent frame, right? To remove those glasses of that imminent frame and for them to have a greater horizon to look at and to see and to realize God is a God of great mercy and graciousness. And in doing so, as they recalled the past, they're reminded of one of the greatest truths in all of history that still stands true today. That God has never dealt with his people as they deserved. God has never dealt with a single human being on this earth as they have deserved. And so the people coming and seeing this perspective, this picture of God, I believe they emerged from this prayer with, with three things. I want to read the rest of Nehemiah chapter 9, and, and then we'll talk about these three things. It says, Now therefore, in verse 32, Our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardships seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people, since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and have, we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, and our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them. Even in their own kingdom and amid 
your great goodness that you gave them, and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we're slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruits and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves. And its rich yield goes to the king whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and over our livestock as they please, and we are in great distress. There's three things that I think the people of Israel realize and and come to experience because of that prayer that was honest about the history of sin, but also at the same time honest about who God is and this revelation of who God is. One, I see that they had this enlarged vision of God. It challenges their irreverence. What I mean by that is this, that in their periods of prosperity, they acknowledge here that the Israelites began to take God for granted. And they foolishly imagined that they could live life as they pleased. They acknowledge that, right? What they did was they adopted morally foolish ways, spiritually careless lifestyles. They, they casually dismissed the covenant obligations of, of God being his covenant children. And they just said, ah, oh, wait, that, that's okay. Like, that stuff's kind of important, but not really in light of all this other opportunity that I have. But as they read the word, both in chapter 8 and they prayed God's word here, as they recounted their history, I believe what we see here actually is them turning away from themselves again. They became increasingly more aware of God's righteousness and goodness. And so their first realization was a challenge towards their irreverence, the ways that they've fallen short. But the next two things outweigh all of that. A larger view of God demolished their despondency. As they read the word and they reprayed and they recounted their history, they became increasingly aware of their sin and those of their forefathers, yes, but their sense of failure didn't cripple them or it wasn't demoralizing. Instead, what they understood was that there was countless years, yes, where they were unfaithful and they missed out on opportunities, yes, but this portrait of God emerged in this chapter and in this prayer that was full of mercy, that was full of compassion, that was nothing but a God of forgiveness. And what it did, it gave them hope. It gave them hope that God would certainly accept them and uphold them if they came in repentance, if they came in turning, if they came and didn't do the things that they used to do, but if they did new things, that they would come and that God would accept them. And he would give them hope and grace and mercy for a new day. And that allows them to be honest and say, All of this, yes, has led to this place right now. And we stand enslaved. And we realize we got ourselves here. And only you can get us out. They're not stuck in a place of despondency. No, that's demolished in light of the grace and the mercy of God. And the third thing, then, is their inadequacy is overcome. As they recount the history, they realize life in a fallen world is not easy. They realize that there is ongoing oppression, opposition, hardship, suffering in this journey of faith. They realize that there's more challenges to come. But they believe and they realize that God can overcome and transform any situation, including those that seem impossible to them. They realize that God delights in welcoming people in their weakness, welcoming people in their vulnerability, and providing for them all that they need to live and flourish. They land in this place of realizing that God's love is totally sufficient and his grace is unlimited towards them. 
And so then there's a, an, an additional impact. They go from here in chapter 9 to coming to this place at the end of, in verse 38. And it says, because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. And on the sealed document are the names of our princes and our Levites and our priests. Chapter 10 then, verse 1 through 27, it's, it's Nehemiah's name and it's the list of 57 other leaders. And what we see them do from here is they go and they make a personal commitment in a public setting that speaks very practically to the specific ways that they are now going to turn from self and turn back to God. Really specific ways that in the light of understanding and seeing who God is, that years and years of history of unfaithfulness on their part, but years and years of faithfulness and extravagant love on God's part, they say, okay, okay, we're, we're gonna, we come now, God, in light of who you are, and we make this covenant to you. And it's a covenant, actually, that is very practical and very specific because they realize that God in his mercy has given them a chance for a new start. That God, once again in his mercy, has given them a chance for a new start. I'm going to read a portion of this because of time. We'll jump in, if you can, with me, Canis, on verse 32. It says, We also take on ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of the shekel, for the service to the house of God and for the show bread and the regular grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moon, the appointed feast, the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, the people have likewise, we've cast lots for the wood offering and we bring to you in your house, O God, according to our father's houses at times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. We obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of every tree year by year to the house of the Lord. Also to bring to the house of our God, to the priests who minister in the house of our God, the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, as it is written in the law, the firstborn of our herds and of our flocks, and to bring the first of our dough and all our contributions and the first of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers, to the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from the ground. I'm going to skip down. Verse 39, it says, For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi, we shall bring the contribution of grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuary are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. Now, as you read that, don't worry. I'm not about to hear to go off on a tangent of tithing and all of that. Although that is spoken of, the stewardship of faithfulness. But what I want you to see and hear there is this. That the people committed anew to obey, in a sense, word for word, step by step, very specific things written out very specifically, very clearly in the law of God. Why? Because for years and years and years, they very specifically, very directly disobeyed, ignored, and turned their backs and were stiff-necked against very clear God. You get the picture? Again, in the presence and in the hearing of the word, in this picture painted of this amazing, beautiful, awesome, great, powerful, awesome God, they realize and go, oh my gosh, all these years we could have been flourishing. All these years we could have been free. We were doing all these things because we thought they would make us free. We did all these things our own way because we thought we were bright. We were intelligent. We were the ones that created all this and could sustain all this. We thought we had it all within us. We thought, God, when you said that we were a holy nation, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people called out for you, special and gifted and talented and set apart for you, we thought you gave us that and then we could just run off and do it on our own. 
And so we did it. We did all those things on our own, and it was awesome. No. We did all those things step by step, year by year, gradually forsaking your very clear, gracious, humble, loving, life-giving instruction. And we realize that now. And so God, personally, publicly, and written down, we are going to turn and we are going to backtrack, not to earn your grace or favor, but because we see that you are a God of grace and favor. We're going to allow that grace to compel us now and to go step by step and to begin to now do the things that we have forsaken for all these years. Because we realize now that though we are in the land that you gave us, we still are slaves. We are very distressed. And we realize, God, that is not your doing. That is ours. But you are a God rich in mercy, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so, God, we're going to give back to you. We're going to steward for you all that you have entrusted to us. You've called us to be a city on a hill, and yet we're a city in, in distress. But we realize now, God, that in order for us to become who you have called us to be, in partnership with you, we covenant ourselves. We make a new commitment, a new binding promise to do these things in relationship with you. I remind you again, church, that God has never dealt with his people the way that they deserve. And God in Christ does not deal with you nor I in the way that we deserve. This morning, church, I want to invite you, and I hope that what you're hearing out of this is, is that God is a God rich in mercy, steadfast in loving kindness, faithful throughout the generations even when we are not. And I know that this pandemic has been hard. I know the years, this last year and a half, two years almost now, is, has been difficult. I know that one of the challenges of it is that we've, we've been isolated. We've, we've been separated. We've been siloed. And there's been a lot of ways in which it's, we've been overwhelmed by it. I know there's a lot of ways in which, as I talk to people, it's been hard to even relate or to go to God in the midst of all this because it's just so burdensome. I know, too, that for others, it's hard to then step out as things reopen, and it's been hard to connect and hard to engage again. How do I engage in intimate, authentic community with other people when for so long we had to be siloed and separated by it? There's some even who've been honest to say, in this season, I've, I've turned my back on some of the things that God has clearly said, and I've just turned to my own vices because I thought that that would be the thing that would free me in the midst of all this, that this would be the relief of my pain, that this would be the thing that set me free. And conversation and conversation again and again, people just realizing and going, but I realize it's, it actually hasn't worked. Some, too, still holding on to this dream or this idea of if we could just get back to 2019 and the way things were, it would just be so amazing. In a sense, you have, you've made a covenant with the past. In a sense, you've made a commitment with the past and said, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything. I'm not going to move forward until I can get back to where I was because where I was was so great and awesome. Well, I'd ask you the way that the people of Israel realized, really? Was it really that great, really that awesome? Was it really that amazing? Or were we actually enslaved and we didn't even realize it and what God has actually given us here and now as he does to the people of Israel, a chance for a new start? 
a chance to realize and understand just how merciful and beautiful and gracious and faithful he is and has been and always will be. And for us to come to a place of saying, okay, God, from this day forward now, in this place now, in this season now, I'm going to stop living by covenants I've made with other things and realize that covenanting myself to you step by step, thing by thing, place by place within my heart and my mind and my home and my relationships, I'm going to relay them before you and allow your grace, your sufficiency, your mercy to empower me to experience a life of goodness and freedom. See, they had to be honest because one of the things that we know and understand from this and in Christ tells us this, is that it's forgiven people (laughs) who actually are the most sincere in worship. It's forgiven people who are actually the most devoted in service. It's forgiven people who actually are the most effective in witness. And I think Israel, in this moment, came to that going, again, we want to be effective for God because of who he is, how great he is. The only way to do that is to be honest about the way we've stumbled, but to hold even greater in our eyes how awesome and amazing he is. Missio, your Nehemiah challenge this week is this then. I want to encourage you this week to sit down and think about how has God been merciful to me in this season? Take time this week to remember God's loving kindness and his faithfulness to you despite your unfaithfulness. And I invite you to write it down. And I invite you to be specific. Be specific about the ways that you have wandered, the way that you have been stiff-necked, the way that you have turned your back. Why? Not to dwell on that, not to focus on that, but why? Again, because it's only in the realization of bringing those things into light before God that then you can receive his mercy over those things. You can receive his grace and provision for all of that. You can receive his pardon for those things. When I say generally, like, oh, yeah, I'm, I've kind of, you know, whatever, yeah, yeah, God, yeah, yeah. The rightful response from God would then be, oh, yeah, then, yeah, 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 yeah. Right? You know what I mean? But what we've seen throughout, no. Time and again, specific, clear, God, I have given into the pride of life, the lust of flesh the desires of this world. Come and meet me, God, here in the midst of this. Come and save me, God, from this. Come and release me from this, God, this thing that I thought that would bring me freedom. It has not. It's, I'm, I'm enslaved and I'm distressed and I stand here before you. Lord, would you come to me? So I invite you to write it down specific. And then I invite you to share it with someone. Someone you trust someone you know that will stand there and incarnate for you the grace and the mercy of God. Because in doing so, church, you will experience freedom. I promise you that. Not based upon my word, but based upon God's word. And here's the second thing for this week. You already have your challenge, but on the back table this week, I give you a gift and an invitation. There's a book back there on the back table called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. There's enough for everybody. Feel free to take one. If you have a friend or someone, feel free to take one. But it's, I've been reading it, and it's just, it's a beautiful exposition 
of not only what God has done in Christ and by his spirit for us, but what is the heart of Christ towards us in all that he has done. And so as we sit here this morning, if there are any ways when all of you, all of you here and the things you're having to fight off are the lies and the sense of guilt or shame that is not of the Lord but from the enemy who would try to steal, kill, and destroy what God wants to give to you today, I'd invite you to go and pick one of those up as you leave today. Take both the Nehemiah challenge with you and take both the Nehemiah gift with you this morning. And begin to spend time. Let it be a place where you can begin to sit again and meet with the Lord and hear and understand the depths of his mercy and the riches of his faithfulness towards you. Amen? Today also is the last Sunday of the month, and so it's Communion Sunday. But I want Kelly to come up and lead us in worship before we take communion. Because what I want us to do this morning actually is to take communion together. But during this song, I want, I want to invite you to engage with this in whatever posture you need with where you're at with the Lord. If it's for you to, to sit and to sing, please do so. Or if it's for you to sit and just to listen and let these words be sung over you, so be it. If it's for you to stand before the presence of God in response to the words of the prayer and of the song, so be it. But I invite you to realize and believe that God is here this morning in, in, in our gathering. He's here with you. And he invites us to a new beginning. Wherever you're at, whatever it is, he invites us to a new place, a new beginning. And so would you talk to him? Would you have an honest conversation with him there, right where you are? And then after that, I'll lead us to, to take communion together. Amen?